I am ready when you are. Okay. <gasps> I feel like there's so much pressure. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ern here with Skird, and today we're going to talk about Alyssa Turney. Thanks for joining us for Armchair Agents. Uh, Skird and I have been talking about true crime since everybody else was, you know, talking about Backstreet Boys. <laughs> well, maybe we talked about Backstreet Boys too. That's true, we did. So if that describes you, or if you want to try and solve the puzzle, then come sit with us. This week, as Erin mentioned, we're talking about Alyssa Turney. Because honestly, after our Jean Bonnet episode last, I just really needed, I don't want to say a pick-me-up. I don't want to disparage this awful case in that way. But right. I wanted something that had a little resolution that maybe was kind of cool or interesting. Yeah, so that's a good thought. I hadn't really <laughs> thought of that. Yeah, and I kept it light on the gross details to this time. So that's true there aren't a lot of gross details are there mm, yeah. oh. <laughs> <Okay>. well <laughs> well we'll mention them we'll mention them so we researched these cases separately and then this is the first time that we've talked about them so we don't know what you know i don't know what skirt has looked into and she doesn't know what i've looked into it's the best <laughs> well let me begin just by telling you about Alyssa. Alyssa was born on April 3rd, 1984, to parents Barb and Steve, but then her mom and Steve got divorced when Alyssa was super young. Uh, Barb then married Mike, her stepdad, when Alyssa was three, and he legally adopted her and her older brother. Barb was then diagnosed with lung cancer, unfortunately, and passed away shortly after when she was only 34 years old. She interestingly enough uh, passed away on the last day before her life insurance lapsed mm -hmm. and mike refused to have an autopsy done but you don't really learn that till much later just for the interesting detail so yeah as i mentioned a little bit before i just didn't want to get into the nastiest of stories that I found. I mean, I listen to a lot of interviews and there's a, a couple of really good podcasts, including one that her sister Sarah makes about this case and just like the recordings and the conversations and mm -hmm. there's uh, some interesting details come out. So I will, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about where you can find that kind of mm -hmm. stuff if you, if you want to read more. So one of these stories uh, was when Sarah was talking to, I want to say it was part two of Stephanie Harlow's videos about it that I was watching. And she told the story about like her mom's last like moments alive, kind of like mm -hmm. her as her mom passed away, uh, you know, supposedly from her cancer. Um, they will say like they really suspect that Mike had a hand in it and that he definitely seemed to orchestrate it a little bit. It was strange because he was like controlling her medication, which is normal, but he was like self-medicating her. Like he would withhold medicine and then she'd get into a lot of pain. And so then he'd over medicate. Oh, it was just uh, like some weird details came out about just his need to control his wife, even in her last moments. And that he yeah, he wasn't really willing to, to listen to 
the doctors, he wanted it to be in his hands. <sighs> yeah. That's just as creepy as it truly is. So there were six kids between the splendid household, um, but Barb died when Alyssa was nine and Sarah was four, and they were the only kids left in the house because the other siblings were a lot older. And Sarah has said now that like her and Alyssa were treated really differently when mm -hmm. they were growing up. Like she was allowed to do pretty much whatever she wanted, but Alyssa had super strict rules that she had to abide by, including some creepy contracts that we'll get into later. <laughs> Mike had always said that Alyssa couldn't be trusted and that's why she needed all these rules. He like always ran the mantra that she wasn't smart enough to do anything on her own. He openly talked about how she had learning disabilities and had ADD and how she like couldn't remember anything and you just couldn't trust her to do anything by herself and like all of those things seem to be really untrue. He even went to her school and got her placed in the special education classes. And according to her sister, Sarah, that's like when she got a lot more rebellious and I mean, kind of rightfully so. That wasn't just her getting an IEP, which is what would happen now. She was put into mm -hmm. like special classes where she had to ride a different school bus to school and she was oh separated gosh. from the rest of her class. Now our education system is more integrated, but back then... That was a that was a really big deal. Like, not wow. that it wouldn't be a big deal now, but it wasn't just as simple as an IEP, which is an individual education plan. Mm. And you still stay in the same class and all of those things. You just have like different goals than other people in your class. Cool. Yeah. So just uh, just to like kind of continue to point out how controlling it was and how that was a really oh, big yeah. deal. Doesn't it seem weird that you can just call up a school and be like, oh yeah, she's she's really dumb. We need to take, give put her in different classes. Yeah, she was like, never and they were like, yeah, okay. diagnosed by a doctor. Yeah. She was diagnosed by her father and the principal, mm. which is strange. That's even more weird. Yeah. Uh, so much for leaving out the creepy details. I like already have goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So her, her stepdad, Mike, was a cop for the Maricopa County Police Department in the 70s. I think 70 to 74. And then he was an electrician until 1980 when he got injured and was put on disability. He claims that he was fired three weeks before his wife passed away, but Sarah's later found out that he definitely resigned from his job at that time. He was super paranoid about, was it the union? Yes, he was so yeah. scared of the union. <laughs> yeah, for years he thought there like was a conspiracy that they were trying to have him killed. Um, and according to him, it was because he had exposed some unsafe practices. Right, and so they tried to kill him to keep him silent. As as the union would do. I mean, no, I don't know anything about the union. Probably not, not. like the mob. <laughs> the best <laughs> he of thought my it was like the mob. The electrical mm -hmm. union is not like the mob. But maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they overlap in like some Venn diagram. I guess. <laughs> that, that would be cool. Yeah, he was just really super paranoid. It seemed kind of about everything. He had a video surveillance system on the outside of the house, like before that was super common. Mm -hmm. Now, listening to that, it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, that would be nice to have. <laughs> but he also yeah, had yeah. like a, what do they call it? A passive recorder on their landline phone. So anytime you picked up the phone, back when you had to physically pick it up, it automatically started recording all the conversations. And apparently the girls knew this, so they didn't really 
exchanged a lot of valuable information over the phone. But what they didn't know was that he had like cameras on them. He had this camera, like he went so far to hide it that it was in a vent where like the video footage had the slash marks yeah. from the vent in it. And like, that gave me the creeps too. It's definitely strange. Yeah, just different levels of paranoid or controlling perhaps than I ever want to be familiar with. So on May 17th, 2001, it was Alyssa's last day of junior year. Her, I wrote her gross stepdad, Mike, picked her up early. <laughs> um, yeah, he picked her up even though they had an early release day because it's the last day of school. So he picked her up at like 1030 in the morning and she poked her head into her boyfriend's shop class and said her stepdad was here to pick her up and she'd see him later that night because they had plans to go to a party. Woo. So Mike had said that then he and Alyssa got some food and then they went home. And when they got home, they got in an argument about like the rules that he wanted her to follow over mm -hmm. the summer, which he like goes really weirdly out of his way to make sure they come off as completely reasonable. So it's such a confusing case. And her sister, Sarah, is great. I feel like just it gets lost in the details how controlling he was because there were some things that were normal that he said, like, mm -hmm. you can't go to parties and drink. You can't be out all night. You have to come home. Right. Sometimes the way that the case is talked about is it makes it sound like, well, she was a junior in high school. Let her go and get drunk. What's the big deal, Mike? Like, he's so over controlling. And it's like, oh, no, that wasn't the over controlling part. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that wasn't it. <laughs> So I feel, I don't know, I know that in some interviews that I saw Sarah talk, um, she said she felt like Alyssa should have been able to go out and get drunk as a junior in high school and that she should have been able to do all the things, like all the things that every junior wants to do. And I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, I'm not going to let my kids do that, but that doesn't make me a murderer. Like, <laughs> right that, yeah those that can't be the reasoning behind why he is a suspect and it's not i just feel like it's kind of like muddy some of the weird details it makes you almost think like well that is normal to not let your kid go out drinking right. but like something cool. that is strange and weird and overprotecting like one week prior to her disappearance he called cps and said, if my daughter calls and says I'm molesting her, just ignore it. She wants a car. Ew. And so, like, that's the weird oh. stuff. <laughs> like, that's oh. the stuff that is. I think I wrote you more than any other word in this document. <laughs> like, half the sentences I have just end with ew. <laughs> it's, like, so skeevy. It is. That's a good word for it. Like, what a gross phone call to make and, like, ever. <sighs> God. All the implications of that are disgusting. And can you imagine being a social worker and having to make a, a like a decision at that point of what to do? Like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like... This, this seems off somehow. Usually, it doesn't happen this way. Right. Spoiler yeah. alert: They didn't do anything. So. Nope. Nobody. Nobody <laughs> did at all. Actually, you will see that happen many times. Yeah, so he says the last time he saw her, she was storming down the hall into her room. Okay, well, it's also Sarah's last day at school, and her class is at a water park, I believe. And they come home, uh, she looks for her dad to pick her up from school, and he's not there. And she's like, eh, 
So she, I don't know how old would she have been here. I think she was nine or 12, no, 12 when Alyssa disappeared. So she was totally cool with it and just walked to her friend's house. And she said she called her dad and she must have left him a, a message to pick her up there. Or maybe she talked to him. And she said that she was at her friend's house for a while, so. Yeah, this was back before cell phones. I don't think she had a cell phone, <laughs> did she? No, Could she didn't. call her she... dad and be like, where are you at, man? Right, no. You just waited when you were... Yeah, and you waited, yeah. <laughs> that does seem strange now, but you're right. In context, like, no, that's, that's how it was. It was. We walked somewhere nearby and used their phone, maybe. So, eventually he does get there to pick her up from a friend's house. And he tells her, I can't get a hold of Alyssa. Here, you try. Hence, hands Sarah his cell phone. So she calls her and she never answers and... When they get home, obviously Alyssa wasn't there. Her room, like, was really messy mm -hmm. when it normally wasn't. It looks like her backpack contents were, like, strewn about. Like, she came in and just shook it out. And they found a note on her dresser that said, Dad and Sarah, when you dropped me off at school today, I decided that I really am going to California. Sarah, you said you didn't want me around. Look, you got it. I'm gone. That's why I saved my money. Dad, I took $300 from you. Alyssa. And it's in her handwriting. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It's a, like big round letters yeah. and she dots her eyes with circles. And it's definitely like, oh, oh, it's very cute. It's very good. Very reminiscent of the times. It is. I totally remember like these kind of notes. And so like that seems pretty straightforward. But obviously the more I learned about this case, the more kind of horrified I became by this yes, short letter. but it's her handwriting. Yeah, like, oh, that has such dark implications. Like, did he, so did he force her to write it? Was she, like, actually going to run away? And then maybe he found her or the note or her leaving mm -hmm. or something? And That's my hope. Let, let us cross <sighs> our fingers and say she wrote this note and he found it. Yeah, that, I hope for that too because the fact that she could have written it against her will makes me like ill to think about. Especially yeah, with this like cute bubbly code. writing. Like if I put a star as a period of the last sentence, that is not normal. And you should I'm being murdered next. <laughs> oh, that's awful. But yes, let's do it. We're implementing the star code. <laughs> Anyone else here free to use it too? We'll work it into society. <laughs> Not too much though, because we don't want the murderers to know about it. <laughs> yeah, don't use it commonplace, like only for duress. That's it. <laughs> and only spread the word to non-murderers. Oh yeah, tough. <laughs> no, we don't want we don't want them to know. Oh, well, we'll we'll keep it we'll keep it between us. Yes. So after Sarah and Mike found that note, Sarah says he went into like full search mode. He started calling all of her friends to see where she could be. He made a bunch of flyers. And then like later that night, he called the Phoenix police and said, my daughter ran off to California to live with her aunt because she's mad at me. Michigan. He makes such weird preemptive phone calls. Mm -hmm. Like no one else in normal situations makes phone calls like that to cover themselves for that very specific thing that they're mentioning. It's strange because there was never any sort of investigation. He made that phone call. My daughter ran away to live with her aunt. She's in California. And nobody came to the house to like. Yeah, they were like, huh, cool. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks for the deets. <laughs> And that's yeah. it. <laughs> all they ever did. Yeah, you're right. They never came out to the house or looked around at all. I don't think they opened an investigation. No. 
they really just said, huh, all right, and just and let her vanish. Yeah, they. Ne- I feel like there wasn't even a, like, let us know that she makes it. Yeah, and but why involve the police in that if your daughter, you know where she's going? So I don't know, again, Mike making weird phone calls. Apparently they went to California several times to, quote, look for her, mm-hmm. or Mike says that he went. Sarah says she did go once with her dad, but they, she said it was more like a vacation, but one time they went to a mall to put up flyers. So they went to one mall when they went to California to look for her. And Mike would always complain that the cops weren't doing anything, but he was still like really pushing the story that she was a runaway teen. Like he would, he just really tailored what he said to how he wanted to appear. Yeah, it seems like to the outside world, he wanted to seem like he was concerned, but then to the police, he was downplaying it a lot. Oh yeah. You know, trying to make it so that they wouldn't investigate, but then he was making it seem like he wanted them to investigate. Very, very complicated. Two-Face. Yeah, Yeah, a good example of that actually is that he said he got a call a week after she left. And he said that like, oh yeah, I'm sure it was Alyssa, but she sounded muffled. And then when he tried to talk to her, she cursed at him and told him to leave her alone and then hung up. And conveniently, his surveillance system failed that day Mm -hmm. so yeah interesting or it was recorded over i don't remember i know some of the surveillance things like the videos from the day she went missing like those are all gone too oh yeah those he said that he reviewed and there was nothing of interest on them oh yeah so he so he recorded over it like Uh uh-huh man like nothing of interest your daughter's last moments in your house before she disappeared forever yeah right not interesting at all yeah he's given every excuse as to why he doesn't have like the phone recordings or the video recordings everything always malfunctioned or he just oh he just recorded over it he did get a phone call from california that day when they looked into the phone records but oh yeah because didn't he like sue at&t for the records records to prove that he got a call yes um sarah who is Alyssa's sister she said that he sued so many people that when she was growing up if somebody asked her what her dad did for a living she would say oh he sues people what (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's uh that doesn't surprise me it's just more control right Mm -hmm. gotta get your way just all the time And, oh yeah, I I don't think we mentioned this clearly, but the reason we talk about Sarah, or at least I talk about Sarah, like she's my friend now, is because I watched so many hours of stuff with her Mm -hmm. and like her new, she put out a podcast about her sister's case. She's like really dived into the true crime world, like Mm -hmm. knowing that it's going to bring the needed exposure to her sister's case. And spoiler alert, it totally worked. Yeah, she's like a a shining example of how a family can like not that families have not done it well before but she's like she did it really well a revolutionary person in the true crime world because she didn't go to cnn like she didn't go to the big news sources she used the internet use the internet (laughs) and it worked yeah i mean it's it's the feature it's time to use the internet yeah she just made her own podcast she made her own information she did interviews with random true crime youtubers like oh yeah i listened to a lot of yeah those, those were my favorite because mm-hmm. youtube is where it's at <laughs> absolutely and she has posted like uh videos like home videos of her family yeah like they're unsettling to begin with but then that 
I learned of another video that was found in their family that was even creepier than, than that. And those released to the public were creepy, so... They were released to the public? Yeah, Sarah has a lot of home videos on her social media now, oh, okay. like from when they were kids. And there's a lot of, like, recordings off of that kind of stuff, too, so... And that is, like... It's unset. The dynamic is unsettling to begin with. Yeah. If you want to know how manipulative Mike Turney was, so Alyssa, he had that secret recording through the vents. I guess Alyssa was dating someone and she cheated on him with another guy. And so Mike didn't talk to his daughter about it. He went to her boyfriend and was like, look at what Alyssa's doing. You should break up yeah. with her. Again, ew. It's just we like it's weird because wouldn't you be concerned about your daughter, not about her boyfriend? <laughs> or I don't know. It just is it's got that creepy it's vibe. Just, he really wanted to alienate her. Maybe he just didn't want Alyssa to know about the recording because he wanted to keep being able to do it. Oh. I don't know. Probably also true. <laughs> Again, ew. Ew. <laughs> All the ewes. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of you, uh, Mike's nephew, David, stayed with the family for a while, like, a while before Alyssa went missing. I don't know exactly how long, but it was some time. And he had stated that late one night he was in the living room and wanted to watch a movie. So he popped in a VHS tape that was labeled Dr. Doolittle, and instead he found that it held footage of a a topless girl sitting on the couch that that he was sitting on currently with her face covered up right yeah with her face covered by newspaper and just not not moving at all and david says in later scenes it like it cuts to then there being two girls on the couch and he swears that it was Alyssa and like one of her friends that she had met but since they were not moving like did he Drug, drug them to yeah. get them like that or just threaten them a lot and ugh. so he booked it and he left he moved out immediately afterwards and while he never reported it today he's very upfront about the guilt that he carries for that and speaks out against Mike now oh yeah that I can't imagine how awful he would feel but now he's like he's really open about it which is cool yeah it's so strange as a child being surrounded by things that are not right, but you just, it's just like normalized for you. Oh, absolutely. Like you powerless yeah. to do anything about it. And so mm -hmm. I could just picture a, however old he was kid, seeing that and just like wanting to get out of Dodge and not knowing what else to do. Oh yeah. I mean, anyone, I think that would be one of their first <laughs> responses is to just flee. <laughs> yeah. Like throw up and then flee. So I have actually, yeah, I've seen him comment on a lot of, like, the videos that I've watched about it. And I thought, like, oh, dang, that's really bold. Like, that's a super brave move. All right, so let's jump ahead to 2006. A whole lot of nothing happens for five years because they're, again, not investigating it at all. Right, it was um, <laughs> not at nothing all. Nothing happened yet because nothing mm -mm. has happened. Nobody tried. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. <laughs> no, exactly. They didn't try to make anything happen during this time until a guy named Thomas Heimer, who was in jail for an unrelated murder, wrote a letter to the Phoenix Police Department that stated, I'm going to make you famous. 
I'm a serial killer. And then goes on to claim that, that he had murdered 21 women, including Alyssa. So the cops, I want to say, fly over to talk to mm-hmm. him. And even the first time they talk to him, they're like, no, this is totally a false confession. He, but yeah, he like, just wanted attention. He did. He wanted to talk to someone and that someone was the Phoenix Police Department, apparently. Okay, my question is, how did he know what Alyssa's name was? How did he know that she was missing if it was never that's a good question i guess you're right they weren't investigating it did he person poster at the mall in california (laughs) maybe that one mall it did it it worked uh yeah i don't know Mm -hmm. no but anyway very good question i'm gonna google that after this (laughs) (laughs) yeah so even though it was like definitely a false confession it did get the wheels turning again on this case because the cops had to interview her friends to verify Heimer's story. And while they were interviewing all of their friends, they were like, huh, she's never spoken to anyone again after Mm -hmm. she disappeared. That's weird. They learned that she had plans for the night she disappeared, which was also suspicious for a kid who's planning to run away. And finally, they realized that no one but her boyfriend, John, knew that Mike had picked her up early from school that day. Apparently not even Sarah, who I read found out in a 2020 episode Mm -hmm. in 2009. Oh, that's, I can't, one of many unfortunate shocks to Sarah. So talking to her friends, they like, they confirmed that Mike was super overbearing with Alyssa. In fact, she was never really allowed to go anywhere with them or even go over to their houses. They said that if they wanted to see her, they had to go to her house and hang out there where they were being surveilled. They also disclosed that it seemed like anytime she got really close with a friend, Mike would like find some way to drive a wedge in between them and break up the friendship. Kind of like you mentioned with what he did showing Mm -hmm. her boyfriend, Mm -hmm. those tapes, like he just wanted her cut off from everybody else. So she didn't have anyone to obviously report what was going on, which she did. Ugh. Another example of that controlling behavior was one time Alyssa did get to leave the house and she went to a friend's sister's birthday party. Uh, This friend's sister happened to be like have a close birthday to Alyssa. So since the girls were good friends, their mom knew it and got Alyssa a little cake too, which was so nice. And they sang happy birthday to both of them. Well, when Mike found out about this, he flipped out. He said it was super inappropriate. He called the friend's parents potheads and forbade Alyssa from hanging out with them anymore. But they still kept in touch with writing letters back and forth. Like, what a what an overreaction to a kind gesture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he said, like, it wasn't okay that I wasn't invited. Like, if you were going to have a birthday cake, I should have been invited. Oh, why? Oh, so weird. Just inappropriate in mm-hmm. ways that you can't quite put your finger on. Right. I can see why, like, it took... A lot of evidence for people to be like, wait a minute. So he's yeah, just really kind of from the controlling. Outside, it looked like he was being super dad. Like he drove the kids yeah. to school back before that was popular. Like most of us had to ride the bus back then. But mm-hmm. he drove his kids to and from school and he drove them to, like, Alyssa had work. He would drive her to work and he would wait for her to be done and then he would drive her home. And that seems, I guess, kind of like normal and like. A plus parenting, but then it was like actually... <laughs> they leave out where he was filming her while yeah. She was then working. you figure out weird stuff like he was video surveilling her while she was scooping out French fries for people. 
That's true, though. He really manipulated it to, like, view positively from the outside. Like, I'm super involved. But, like, you know, you're far too involved. Uh-huh. Far too involved. So, yeah, even though he, portray- like, portrayed a good parent, Alyssa's friends said that she had spoke of being scared of him. One friend even straight up said that she was afraid he was going to kill her. Her boyfriend, John, said that Alyssa had told him that when she was little... He had attempted to molest her one day by, like, just driving him out to a, a desert area and, like, trying to take advantage of a, a small child, which is disgusting. And, you like, they later learn, I think just from interviewing the family again, that before Alyssa's mom passed away, she had taken her to the doctor to see if there was any evidence that she was being sexually assaulted. Yeah, so her mom was concerned. Yeah, and she would have had a have to have a she would have had to have had a reason to be mm-hmm. yeah there were so like so many times this came up and so many times Alyssa was like completely let down in the way people responded or like just didn't respond to like uh-huh. things that she was telling people they came forward at this time like in what what year was it now 2008 that yeah, a lot of these stories later. started to come to light like the fact that she had told a teacher when she was nine years old that her father was having sex with her. That came to light at this point. And that teacher did not do anything with it because she was sleeping with Mike. Mm -hmm. She was around a lot. Like, she was in their home movies, apparently. Mm -hmm. So she was, like, a present figure in their lives for some time. And, nope, didn't. Oh, because the excuse that Mike made when she brought it up was that Oh, yeah, Alyssa kissed a boy, and she thinks that's having sex. Which, again, he's such a master manipulator because that, like, that's actually pretty believable to me. If somebody said that, I would be like, oh, yeah, a kid would think that. Right, (laughs) and they're stuck on this phrase because they see how agitated I get every time they say Ah. it. (laughs) I can see that. But, yeah, he really, he put a lot of words in her mouth in that regard. Uh But word of warning to all the teachers out there, no matter what, if one of your students tells you that their father's sleeping with them, report it. Yeah, just report, report it. it. Why not? Report it. Report it. You're a mandatory reporter. I know I mentioned to you before the creepy contract that Alyssa had to sign. Mm-hmm. The particularly gross part was that there was a place where she had to indicate and sign by, I've never been sexually molested by my dad, Michael Turney. Uh-huh. Parent-child contracts were kind of popular back then. And it would be... Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't know why. I feel like parents were trying to instill, like, a business mindset into their children. (laughs) A, like, you signed this, that means it's done forever. You have to behave this way forever. Yes, because you signed your name in cursive. Yeah, when you're, like, nine, (laughs) 12, 16, like, no. So, like, that part wasn't weird, but the weird part was, like, it is kind of weird, not a learning contract, a, like, parent contract, parent child contract whatever but yes that last like who that's such a weird Mm -hmm. yeah he's again being preemptive on things that you would only be preemptive about if you're guilty of those things Uh the fact that you're putting out this statement is what is suspicious i mean as is your behavior but yeah there's so many things where he like oh i should just explain this or like let me just cover this face and it's like no 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 normal person needs to cover that face no you do not need to. Ugh. It's like there are so many alarm bells ringing. So after 
talking to all her friends. The cops are, they're concerned now. They do think that something probably happened to Alyssa. So they go and talk to Mike again. As you had mentioned, they grill him on the video and and phone surveillance. And he just was like, oh, yeah, I don't have anything. But he still had like recordings of her from before that. So the cops thought it was suspicious that he had like recordings that were older than the date that she went missing, but just not that one. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, that raised a red flag for them. (laughs) Finally. That's what they... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Years later, you know, once they actually investigated it, they were like, yeah, you're right. So other than that, he was very uncooperative to the police. He wouldn't come in for questioning. He wouldn't provide a DNA sample. He wouldn't take a lie detector test. So after trying to get him to cooperate for quite a while and just getting more and more suspicious, finally, the Phoenix Police Department got a search warrant for Mike's house in December of 2008. Mm -hmm. Which they said they wanted to handle with care because they knew he had a huge gun collection and that he didn't like the police. Oh, they knew? (laughs) That probably fits into why they executed the warrant by apprehending him when he went out to get the mail. Right. They just grabbed him. And at first they were, you're just going to bring him into the station for questioning. But they, they search him, obviously, as a man that you snatch out of his front yard while getting the mail. And they found uh, two handguns, seven full magazines, and a knife. Just to get the mail. To, to get the mail, yeah. The mail. <laughs> I, I heard an interviewer Sarah said, they're like, oh yeah, that was pretty common. Just like when he was running errands or hanging out around the house, he was always armed. Huh. So if you need another reason why not to murder someone... It makes you paranoid. <laughs> yeah, you carry guns around. That that choice is going to haunt you forever. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I hope that's why he was paranoid. I also think he was just crazy. Yeah, that's so true. Maybe a little bit of both. Uh, in his house, they found 19 assault weapons, homemade silencers, 26 homemade pipe bombs, and guns, like, just in every room. They were under the couch. They were in the closets. They actually had to evacuate the entire neighborhood after discovering what they called Phoenix's largest cache of improvised weapons and bombs. Yeah, and that's Phoenix. That's a huge city. That's a big deal. (laughs) There's there's probably several large caches of improvised weapons and bombs. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, I mean, that is a title for sure. But like, God, not one that you want. And they... They also found a 98-page manifesto by Mike entitled Story of a Madman Martyr, Lost in an Obsession for Justice and Closure in the Wrong Place and at the Wrong Time to See Things Better Not Witnessed. What? That's a big title. Ooh, yeah, he's really, like, now he's really ranting because mm-hmm. this manifesto outlined a plan for an act of terrorism against the branch of the Union that he thought was after him. He had a safe full of letters to family and friends in the media. He had a USB drive that contained that manifesto and another letter that says it, quote, might explain how he got to this point after the murder of his daughter. And like when I when I heard that, I was like, I'm sorry, what? Now he thinks his daughter is, was murdered. Yeah, he's never talked to police about that. No, no. <laughs> He's just playing every card that he can drag out of his ass to, like, why he is so woe is me. I did find his to-do list of how to commit an act of terrorism. What? Against the union. Oh. Are there checkboxes? (laughs) I don't know. But this is the list. 
throw a firecracker over the wall. Prep van. <laughs> I can do this. Okay. This isn't funny, but it's kind of funny because you're like getting to see his inner workings and it's just pure craziness. Okay. It's pure crazy. So here's either. his yeah. to-do list. A plan to commit an act of terrorism against the union. Throw a firecracker over the wall. Prep van for fire. Set lighter fluid papers. Drive a union fence. Set smoke bombs. Light fire. Drive through fence. Shoot truck gas tank. Shoot 100 rounds into door and anyone who's moving. Oh. And walk the truck. The truck was found and it was prepared to carry out this plan. Wow. That's a lot of planning into a terrorist attack. I think that makes him as close to a terrorist as you could be. Yeah, it seems that one of his other grievances against the Union now was that he thought Union assassins had kidnapped his daughter because they found out who... So, so he found out who they were and he hunt them down and, and killed them. This is one of the many letters that he uh -huh. left in his safe. And it just it goes on and on with more crazy... The, the wild story said that one of the union dudes' name was Gary Morris, and he did have a driver's license and social security number with the name Gary Wayne Morris on it, but the picture on it was his own? It was a, yeah, it was a fake ID. His own fake ID of <laughs> Gary Morris. <laughs> yeah. You plan this better. Use a different name, man. <laughs> Don't use your own fake ID name. Right, yeah, like those stories overlap there where they shouldn't have, but apparently that big long story was just his like actual insane way of explaining why he had that ID. But again, it it had his picture mm -hmm. on it, so it it didn't work. Eventually, we all agree, like, okay, he wanted to to blow up the union building and then flee under his false identity because Sarah has also said that he had like wigs and disguises. Yeah. So while this raid was happening. The cops called Sarah and they asked her to come down to the station because they had news about her sister. And she was like, cool, yeah, yes, and she's okay. still living at home at this point, which is crazy. Oh, yeah. Which is, I guess, kind of nice that they kept her away from it in a way. But it gets less cool because they just they bring her in and they tell her basically, OK, yeah, we think your dad killed your sister. Uh, we also know that he had been molesting her since she was a young child. And you also have a sister that you never knew about because he kept it secret from you. How do you feel about your dad now? And like, as any human would do, she said she just started crying and asked if she could leave. That's a pretty bold way for the it police to It was because to she was her. still living with him. She, yeah, she still yeah. hadn't, she hadn't connected all these dots yet. She's still in a place of not knowing. Since 2008? So I was 20. I think I'm the same age as Sarah. Yeah, we're like 20. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't have. You wouldn't have known mm -hmm. enough at that point. She went back to her house where she was, again, living and see to see what was going on. And yep, it was like swarmed with cops. The bomb squad was there. They eventually let her in the barricades to go get some stuff because obviously she wouldn't be able to stay there that night. So she's, she said that the cops were like going through everything in the house and they were also following her around to see like what she was taking. She told, she actually told the story of going to the bathroom and like putting tampons into her purse. And one of the cops came in and was like, what, what was that? What do you have in your purse? And like, she just took it and fucking <laughs> flinged it out at him. And I just, I laughed so hard when she was telling that story. Cause I'm like, oh, I hope like <laughs> I would do the same thing in that situation. That's the best reaction you could have. Like you're fling them right at it. 
And then she ended that story with, so yeah, it was a bad day. So it was a bad day. <laughs> yeah. I just, the more I listened to her talk about it, the more like, you could tell the more convicted she became. And I just, I just liked her more and more. So after finding this cache of weapons in Mike's house, he was put in prison. He was actually sentenced to 10 years in prison. And like we were kind of just talking about, like before this happened, Sarah wasn't really fully convinced that her dad had a part in this. But then he went to jail for 10 years and that really, really gave her some good time to think about (laughs) it, which God, you would think we have to has to be pure agony. Yeah, and to be separated from his manipulation because he had told her her whole life, like Alyssa ran away. Since she was a child, she was told yeah. who her sister was when that wasn't actually who her sister was, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and uh, like that was maybe the first time that she wasn't constantly hearing those things mm-hmm. or like being in that environment. So now she was almost free to think of these things in different ways for herself and like whoo how scary that would be but she just again she got more and more badass as we go so (laughs) she you know she became essentially convinced that her dad did do it while he was in prison and she kept going to the cops and kept harassing them and they would tell her like yeah you know we do have like some we do have some evidence on him so once he gets out of jail like we'll arrest him we're not going to, but they didn't want to do it like while he was in jail because they didn't want him to be able to serve his time concurrently. Mm-hmm. So they had told her that they'll just wait until he's his sentence is over and then they'll arrest him. She, meanwhile, she's getting more and more into the case. She's finding out additional details. She found out that her dad had gotten a duplicate truck after Alyssa went missing and that he like bought the same make and model and color of truck and just kind of swapped him out mm-hmm. which like man you have to be doing so much digging to find that Good. my parents Great actually work. did that but it's just because <laughs> <laughs> i think it's just because their six is on the enneagram and they hate like the unknown like they're scared of new things <laughs> both of and them so are? i don't know i guess i haven't figured out my mom but they just don't like new things mm. they don't like change and so we had the same van growing up two of the same one at the same time oh that's funny. and then when those <laughs> broke we got two more of the same of the <sighs> old like so i've had four of the same van like basically the same van growing up but there were four of them yeah i mean in your situation not really suspicious it's still more strange though of- like <laughs> it is yeah <laughs> it is <laughs> that is very true, but we'll we'll not associate it with murder in this That's case, good. where it's in the case of Alyssa. Ah! Yeah, they didn't keep it secret. Everybody knew that they liked the Ford green van. <laughs> but as it turned out, um, Mike was not charged with anything related mm-hmm. to Alyssa's disappearance when he was released in 2018. In fact, the cops assigned to her case were taken off of it just three days before he was released also extremely suspect. Every time Sarah would reach out to them about what was going on, they would just give her excuses until they were finally like, well, you know what? Nobody, no crime. We don't know where she is and we don't have enough to prosecute. And the whole time Sarah was like, well, we'll look for her. Look for her and find out where she is and then tell me what you know. You know, like they just still they're not really taking that action to like it seemed promising up until Mm -hmm. this point. 
And now they're back to just being like, oh, I guess she ran away. I don't know. So, like, there was a couple nice cops that were there that would have been on the case, like, the whole time that Sarah would still meet with. And at one point, one of them, I believe his name was Summershoe, told Sarah that her best chance was getting media exposure. So that is exactly what she mm-hmm. did. She started a petition, I believe it was the Justice for Alyssa petition, and after getting 100,000 signatures, Commander Christina Gonzalez told her, it doesn't matter how many signatures you get, we need a body. This was in January of 2019. They lied to her, they said that they had dissolved the cold case unit when they actually didn't. And... Oh, and like I mentioned, the one of the cops, Summershoe, that was really helpful for her, and another cop, Anderson, these guys who were on her case previously. They have perfect cop names. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> and he's, he was actually on a podcast, I bet. I think it was the Missing Alyssa podcast, which was very good. And, like, probably got some flack for that, and... They now he's like super tight lipped about it, unfortunately. So, <laughs> but he really did like he he stepped up in that instance to speak about it. And now Sarah has talked to Mike after he because he's out of prison now. And she even once met him at a Starbucks and recorded their conversation. She's so awesome. She says, Don't act like a victim because you're not. And she also tells him that he took away her sister and the person most important to her, and he doesn't deny it at all. He doesn't console her. He doesn't say, yeah, I miss her too. His response is, oh, you guys were that close, huh? Ew. Mm-hmm. Ew. Again, ew in all capital letters because like, oh, just like, what's the most heartless, cruel thing I could say here? Oh, I know. Like, ugh. So Sarah has, like, she, again, she's still on social media. She's speaking out. She thinks that it's unlikely that he buried her in the desert and instead like kind of suspects that he hit her body at a construction site of a mall that was like just a couple miles from their house and it was like actively being built when Alyssa disappeared. He like because he wouldn't have had that much time between like after mm-hmm. getting home from lunch and picking up Sarah like not enough to drive hours and hours out into the desert but he did have several hours he did like he he didn't even pick sarah up from school apparently he was you know indisposed at the time sarah keeps on and she is not deterred by the lack of police help so here's what sarah has put out she did a podcast called voices for justice that is also really good she shares like a ton she interviews a ton of people on there she plays a lot of clips it is it's super well done and she, you know, she's getting moderate publicity between her Instagram and Facebook pages and these petitions that she's getting success with. But in April of 2020, so not too, not long ago at all, she started a TikTok and that like really blew up. Like she had millions of viewers just in a couple weeks and she was sharing, that's where I said she was sharing like those home videos. Mm-hmm. And, like, sharing recordings that she has, like, clips of what's on her podcast, and just, like, just her speaking out about Alyssa and her case. And uh, the our younger generation took it and ran with it, because they're champions of stuff like that a lot. So, and it culminates with, um, on August 20th of 2020, Michael Turney was arrested and charged with the second-degree murder of Alyssa. Maricopa County had a press conference announcing his arrest and they like they gave a little speech about it. Uh-huh. I'm going to read you the first part. To Alyssa's sister, Sarah Turney, 
Your perseverance and commitment to finding justice for your sister Alyssa is a testament to the love of a sister. Because of that love, Alyssa's light has never gone out, and she lives on in the stories and photos you've shared with our community. This passion you have and have demonstrated for her during your journey is something that will keep Alyssa's memory alive forever. That's, it sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. She does work and she's being rewarded for it, but then they go on to thank the cops for their decade-long work on the case, and I just I rolled my eyes too hard to listen, so then I paused it. So, <laughs> <laughs> But that part sounded nice. Yeah, the first part was nice, and then they acted like the cops were tirelessly searching for her for a decade. No, they weren't. Yeah. They interviewed a couple people, though, mm-hmm. but probably Sarah interviewed more. Did you watch any of her TikTok videos? I watched just one. I think it was her first TikTok video. I don't, I'm not on TikTok, so Me neither, I had to watch it I on YouTube. On it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I watched just the first one. Definitely compelling but stuff. It is. I watched a lot of her just interviews with random podcasters or YouTube people. Yeah, those were really good. Yeah. And it was cool to see, like, her opinion kind of change over the years. Like, I watched a couple from different moments in time and was like, oh, she's learned more now. So she's, like, she truly worked on it for so long. Yeah, and you can also kind of see her processing some of, I don't know what the official term would be, maybe, like, not survivor's guilt, but, like, she's still kind of processing that her life was very different than Alyssa's. Like, she didn't realize it at the time, how different their life was, or she did realize it. Oh, yeah. She was just a little kid. Like, she tells stories about how her dad was everybody's favorite dad. Like, all of her friends loved her dad. Mm -hmm. And he would rent limos and take her to Britney Spears concerts and do all of these, like, over the top. She always had whatever food she wanted in the house, just constantly. And then Alyssa's friends the story is a little bit different. Like they were afraid of her dad and yeah, the story's a never lot let different. them leave the house. And like, mm-hmm. so I think you can kind of see her still trying to process some of that, like trying to process oh, yeah. some of their relationship. It sounds like their relationship was pretty broken, her and Alyssa's. And so mm-hmm. I feel like you can kind of see her trying to navigate those waters of no longer having a big sister that had a very different life than her growing up in the same house and like it's kind of like what survivor's guilt I feel like oh yeah that she's dealing with I can see so many negative feelings coming into play that's just like, yeah I oh, that's got to be so tough truly she's a champion with how she's coping with it yeah and it's cool like, that she's shit so done. honest about it mm-hmm. like you can see her progress in these things like she's very authentic one of oh, the yeah. first things the very first thing that I heard her say was My sister, Alyssa, was nice, one of the greatest people in the world, meanest big sister ever. (laughs) (laughs) And I just laughed so hard because it's just a very, it's a very raw thing to say when your sister is gone. Absolutely. And so many people can relate to it. Yeah. (laughs) It was just so funny. Like that comment was so funny to me. Yeah, even though, of course, the story is just super tragic, there were several moments, and usually it was something that Sarah was saying that just made me laugh out loud or, like, like kind of cheer for her. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, get him. Like, oh, man, especially her interviews with her dad, all the audio that she provided <laughs> there. Oh, man, I was, like, I was talking back to some of them. Really, really good stuff. It was. Well, kind of a positive ending here. 
Yeah, hopefully we he isn't convicted yet, right? He's just No, I don't arrested. think he's I don't think there's been a trial yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to updates with this one. I know we'll have more. So I have a couple quick stories, just random stories on Mike Turney. Oh, do share. Okay, so it's his recap of his story of the two people who kidnapped Alyssa. And oh. he found out that they kidnapped Alyssa. And this is his story of how he murdered them. Oh, more and more into the crazy, huh? <laughs> so before part, so the, the men were Gary Morris and Charles Parsons. So before Parsons died, like Parsons broke into his house and Mike Turney killed him. But right before he died, he leaned over the man and admits that the union sent him. That was, so I don't know. That seems <laughs> Gary Morris's is a little bit more detailed. Gary Morris was in the desert with Mike Turney. We don't know why they were there together, but they were there together. But and they Mike were, was definitely. <laughs> and Mike was yelling, where is Alyssa? And he confessed to murdering her and burying her in the desert. And then Mike killed him. Wow. These are quite the stories he's made up for himself. Is that the union needs to get people better at keeping their lips sealed. <laughs> right? <laughs> the beans Terrible pretty. assassins, union. <laughs> he got them both. I feel like that just shows his, like, immaturity. He thought that that was a believable story. Right. I don't know. It's such a strange... So the other random backstory that I found was about James Turney, who is Mike's brother. He married a girl, or he started dating a girl when she was 14 and he was 17. Her name was Donna Russell. She was from a neglected and abusive home, and that was kind of all she knew. And so she said that's why it was normal to go with James because he was also abusive. Oh, no. So she said that uh, her mother threatened to turn James into the police because they were having a relationship and he was so much older. So then James recorded her and her brother being intimate in a field. Oh, what? He shared that with her parents and said, you can't turn me into the police because I have this whoa so whoa that's taking it yeah, way too it far it shows mike turney's same need to document and record and control and manipulate oh yeah um and so we see like a family pattern going on then mm -hmm. so this woman donna russell in 1974 she she went to get things after getting a divorce from him and at that point he shot her four times whoa and mike turney was actually there he was supposed to be taking the kids to McDonald's. Oh. And so the cousins, so these are the cousins of Sarah mm -hmm. Turney and Alyssa Turney. And they said that they really felt like Mike and James planned that together. Like they were going to kill wow. Donna. Um, and that Mike's role in it was to take the kids to McDonald's so that they mm -hmm. weren't there. Wow, that is absolutely horrifying. Yeah. And then I also... I thought of a similar case, maybe not super similar, but there are similarities with Josh Powell, Susan Powell. Oh, that's Do you know my that case? least favorite. That's the that's the and, worst one that I've ever listened and, to. Yeah. Oh. And Stephen Powell is the father-in-law. Oh, yeah, I thought about Stephen this Powell. too, actually. <laughs> his behavior is so eerily similar to You're Mike. You're so right. Yeah. Behavior. The Don't creepy recordings that just oh. the recordings and control yes. and manipulation, man. The like diary videos, like he yeah. like seeing Mike video Alyssa as she's at her work, just like 
serving customers. Ugh, it just is. I think he just wanted her to feel like she could never get away from him. And she was uh, about to do that. You know, grow up and become yeah. an adult. And she was probably, she was almost 18. So it kind of seems like she was about, she was obviously actively talking to people about what was going on between her and Mike and trying to do yeah. what she could to remedy that. But yeah, I think that he just, he really feared losing that control over here, or having people find out what, what he had been doing to her for her whole life and being exposed for like the actual scumbag that he is. Yeah. I am curious how this will continue to unfold because a uh, case without a body is really hard to convict. Yeah. I mean, um, at least they have tons of recordings to really set the scene. They have Mm-hmm. And they yes. have Sarah, so that will probably help. Yeah, I'm curious if they'll have, like, will the teacher who Alyssa talked to, will she be interviewed? Will, like, will all of those things be presented at the court oh, case? Oh, man, I hope so. To the judge or jury? Does it have to go to a jury, or can it go to I a judge? I think there's a way that you can go right to a judge. I don't mm-hmm. remember what it's called, though. I think that he would have to admit to being pretty culpable. And I just don't I don't know if that's going to happen. He at least admitted to killing. Hang on. What are their names? Gary and... Oh, yeah. Could they find those guys? No, they, I think they did find Gary those guys. Gary Morris and Charles Parsons. Yeah, I think they did find yeah. them. And they <laughs> passed away many years before he even wrote that. Yeah. So, like, no, it they definitely... Did. Definitely didn't happen. It actually is, what did he call it? Delusions of a madman. <laughs> yeah, so he wasn't wrong. In that way, he was entirely correct. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thanks for uh, thanks for sitting with us while we told you the story of Alyssa Charney. If you want to learn more about her, you should listen to the really good podcast, Voices for Justice, by her sister. Or the Missing Alyssa podcast is really good, too. There's several good videos mm-hmm. on it. I would say a lot of them are, like, before... Mike got arrested so I like I'm looking forward to new information coming out yeah it should get pretty interesting because he's going to be interviewed sometimes they release those things <laughs> well we'll have to keep our eyes on how that case progresses it's especially interesting because of Sarah's work it's just so rare to have a family be so open oh yeah she's only doing good things for the true crime world because it proved that the family can make a difference and that the little guy, like the little armchair detectives, that they can make a huge impact. Absolutely. Yeah, and the community can kind of band together and rally around this story and do everything they can to like get it out there and make it known. I mean, now there's tons more information about Alyssa yeah. than there would have been. And clearly it's had some decisive court action too. So Yeah, we, we'll do updates as it comes out for sure. Next case will be... A Jane Doe case. Oh, uh, taking it in a different direction. I like it. (laughs) Jane Doe and her kind of tagline is Little Miss Nobody, which is just sad. Oh, yeah. Ouch. She was found in 1960 and her case was reopened in 2018. Oh, wow. I actually haven't researched a lot about this one. So I'm really, it'll be interesting to dig deeper Jane Doe cases might be shorter episodes just because there isn't a lot of information on them you can't do a whole lot of background just the nature of their cases but um, I'm interested why it reopened and if we can do anything to better her case yeah let's talk about it get it out there we're not going to figure out her story if we don't talk Mm -hmm. about it sounds great I've never heard of it so I'm very excited I also like that 
that we don't tell each other what the next case is going to be until we're recording because then I always get to be yeah. genuinely so oh, surprised yeah but I did realize that's my second pick and it's another child I need to <laughs> those are always yeah. hard like, I, I know. To... that's not a good ratio of children so far we'll have to even it out it really is extra depressing I think because that is like where my heart of justice wants to figure things out Fair. like that's where my and like just with doing foster care I feel like a lot of the I just see a lot of trauma in kids mm. and a lot of kids who like their story might not end well and so it's like trying to figure out for them like seeking justice for them oh, i love it yeah it's it's tough but it's like for how tough it is it's equally as good or better to get the story out there well thanks for hanging out with us today guys it has been lovely and we are just so thankful for Alyssa's story and we're thankful for the momentum that it's had and we'll just keep waiting for more news and we'll keep updating you as it comes definitely so thanks for hanging out with us yes absolutely guys we will see you next month Was that the meetings you were in all day? Uh, no, I was in church meetings all day with people from oh. Canada. So if Fun. my accent sounds super northern today, it is just <laughs> you with my rub people. off a little. Like... <laughs> yeah, you really fit in in the northern Michigan. That was good. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, what was I even saying? What were we on about? <laughs>